Listener, welcome to Not Another Whiskey Podcast. We are joined today by the wonderful Graeme Mackay from Adelphi, who's going to speak to us about Ardamurton Distillery and the bold Mr. Mitch Bouchard, as always, my wonderful co-host and leader and champion of Not Another Whiskey Podcast. So without further ado. Graeme, great to have you on the show, man. This is, this is kind of cool. I'm excited. I'm a huge fan of Ardamurkin. I love the way Nicholas says it. He's doing like, you know, because he's lived in the US now, he has to over-exaggerate all his Scottish things. Ardamurkin. His microphone. Was that right, I can I can was that right Graeme? bit dripping from his microphone. Was that right, right Graeme? I don't have to say that. Was that right, Graeme? <laughs> you were, actually. Don't worry. There's no pressure there at all. For once, it's one of these names that you can say it as, as it looks, you know? As Scottish as you can make it. Exactly. There you go. There you Graham, go. before we get into the distillery, man, let's talk about you. What's your background? How did you get into all this? And, and, and what do you do for, for Adelphi? Yeah, so um, I've had a bit of a, a winding journey, like a lot of people in the whiskey world. I guess not many of us necessarily set out with our sights on a career in whiskey. You know, the careers advisors in school never used to talk about that as something you could do on purpose, right? So um, <laughs> like, a lot, like a lot of people, I was a bartender to begin with. And um, primarily in Glasgow, a little bit of a stint in Australia as well. And then, um, to be honest, I guess I wanted to see the daytime a little bit more. Um, so I worked in retail for a good few years. Um, shout out to the Good Spirits Company in Glasgow. Um, I worked there for four or five years. Great company and a great basis of background knowledge and just general booze geekery, I guess, you know. And uh, from there, I moved into the whiskey world full time. I worked for uh, Morrison and Mackay, they were called at the time, which is now Morrison Scotch Distillers, um, which have got the brands Carmore and Old Perth and things. Was that after um, you left, they had to change their name? Yeah, I took it with me. Yeah, yeah, that was part of it. <laughs> Separation um, clause. Good for you. That's Go play it, game. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> um, and now it's... Uh, I've made my way over here to Arden American and Adelphi. So I joined in the kind of May, August time of 2020, which was an interesting time to move companies and to prepare to launch a, a brand of a, a single malt in the heart of the pandemic. So, yeah, it's been a bit of a circuitous route, but um delighted with where we're at now. Nice, man. Very cool. I mean... We're going to get into Arda Birkin in, in, in just a second, but first off, I think it'd be good just to give a little bit of background about Adelphi uh, for those mm -hmm. that, that maybe aren't aware of the, the independent bottling business that, that kind of runs Arda Birkin. So if you can give us a, a lowdown on that, that'd be, that'd be great, man. Yeah, yeah. So actually, fortuitously, this year is our 30th anniversary of Adelphi being a business. So um, I guess you could say we're fairly well established on the independent bottling world. Not quite the illustrious uh, 300 years of Berry Brothers and things like that, but we're we're getting there. And it's uh, I think it'd be fair to say I've been an Adelphi fan from the outside looking in when I was a retailer. The reputation that we seem to have garnered over the years is um, one that strictly adheres to quality. Um, Alex Bruce, now that I work with him, who's our managing director, I can see that that's not just sales bullshit. You know, from the inside, he is very good at um essentially saying no to, to whiskey samples so he's turned down a lot more than he says yes to um and i think hopefully that stands us in good stead in the long term so that's been going on for nearly 30 years it's got a history that stretches way back to the early 1800s and the actual adelphi distillery it was a distillery in glasgow 
um, built in 1826. Um, long story short, they had a bit of an industrial accident. It was one of the old vertical distilleries, a bit like Port of Leith are kind of resurrecting now, to be fair. Yep. And essentially, the washbacks collapsed on top of the stills and destroyed the whole place. A bit of a, a wave of, of liquid flying down the street and killed a few people. So that was known as the Great Gorbals disaster back then. And the Adelphi distillery, as we knew it back then, never reappeared. And actually, for the trivia fans out there, um, you can now spot the remnants of it, and it's now the Glasgow Mosque. So it's fair to say the uh, purpose of the building has changed a little bit in the intervening years. Um, so yeah, we fast forward then to sort of 2014, and Adelphi then has its own distillery. So it is inextricably linked, both independent companies under the same umbrella, and the same small team that makes all the operational decisions. Yeah, very cool. I mean, I remember going out to the distillery. I want to say it was not long after you guys opened. It must have been 2018. So what had been four years? No, three years. It had been open. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, and it was such a cool... I mean, we did like quite a lot of distilleries on that trip. And I think that one w was my favourite. Uh, it was definitely up there. Just such a cool tour. So cool seeing all the sustainability aspects that have been put in place with the distillery as well. Big fan of the liquid. I mean, I've got probably about four or five bottles of Arda Merkin, which I want to start talking to you about like the juice that you guys are producing. But if you can give everyone a little bit of a background first off about the distillery situation, kind of why it was built in that very remote part of Scotland as well, I think it's quite an interesting story because... For those that, that know the geography of Scotland, you know Ardamurkin is a pain in the ass to get to. Um, yeah, so if you want oh, to... Yeah, yeah let, so let's start chatting about the distillery. commercial man. for your visitor centre right there. <laughs> Ardamurkin, we should have built it in Glasgow. Uh, <laughs> so, Put that in a t-shirt. Yeah, it's a pain in an ass to get to. But uh, well, we do like there. to think... We do think if you make the effort, we'll reward you with a, a decent dram because you do deserve it. Um, so it's, mm. yeah, geographically, it's on the far west coast. So it comes under the Highland bracket. Um, it's basically north of the Isle of Mull and south of the Isle of Skye. So the, the distillery is named after the peninsula, is the Arden American Peninsula. Um, it's actually the furthest west coast you can go on the UK mainland, which kind of is a bit of a um surprise to some people it is further west than even cornwall and things so yeah it's as you refer to beautiful scenery you know our kind of neighboring distilleries if you can call them that would be the likes of tobermory nick Nian is actually very close as the crow flies or if you have a boat but if you're in the car it's you know a, a four-hour round trip um and yeah we're a part of this clutch of west coast distilleries including people like Ben Nevis and Talisker and things that have got a nice rural outlook. Um, why did we build a distillery there is a very fair question. And the unromantic truth is that we only have two owners. We've, we've got Donald and Keith, who were the, the people who started up the company. They have owned Adelphi for some time. They didn't originate with the Adelphi company, but they purchased it a while ago. And... They owned plenty of land out there, so there was a good reason to do it. You mentioned the sustainability. Um, Donald also owns lots of the local forestry out there, which we can get onto how that involves the distillery too. But um, 
yeah, it was a, a place that wasn't really well marked out on the map. And it was our opportunity to um, kind of make a statement out there on the West. And in the kind of more practical terms, you know, independent bottling, I know you've had a fair few indie people on, on your um, podcast, like Angus McCrailed and things. It's getting ever and ever tougher to secure good casks of whiskey at good prices. Um, there's more and more indie bottlers out there and there's less and less official whiskey liquid out there, you know. Lots mm. of even the big guys like Diageo and things are still kind of outperforming on their brand level. So they require a lot of their own juice for themselves. Yep. So I think Alex and the two owners saw it on the, the writing on the wall some years ago. And there is lots of advantage to having our own distillery in terms of not just making great liquid ourselves. But that does keep the doors open for maybe some trading of liquid as well. And keep, keep the Adelphi stocks healthy with some cool liquid too. I think that's very clever. I think we're seeing that across the board that there's buyback plans even coming across the board with some of these big boys, you know, Diageo, Penarica, they're mm -hmm. buying back stock profiles of stuff that they would have previously sold. And then we're seeing Completely. from some of these, I was speaking to somebody actually, um, one grandsons, they, they were tracking barrel sales of, you know, you can tra track where a barrel goes and the most they've seen is a barrel traded hands 17 times in one day. So you've got that, Talking about securing whiskey at a reasonable price, I mean, 17 sets of hands have touched a barrel, put their margin on it, moved it on. By the time it gets to somebody, unless it's going out to someone, you know, some private collector in inverted brackets, you know, that uh, this is uh, this is who's taking it on. I think that's uh, really interesting to see that th those are the challenges that the IBs are facing. And I think it's really smart to have your own uh, distillery for that reason. Yeah, I think there's a lot of us... Uh out there doing it you know it's um yep. quite a lot of the established people in the indie world even even people that have not just built theirs you know Cadden Heads and Springbank and Gordon and McPhail with their two distilleries nowadays but then you've got the smaller scale as well with things like Weems and Kings Barnes and yeah lots of people are seeing the benefit of that um and you know I guess that's also why you see a lot of gin brands kicking around while the distilleries are are making their whiskey and sitting on it too Thankfully, in a very selfish world for me, I didn't have to make a gin because we had the Adelphi cash flow. So I've not had to try and sell gin to people who have 300 gins on the shelves, you know. <laughs> but I think as well, the other cool thing, it's such a great shop window for the independent bottling side of the business. Like I remember going to Ardemarkin and, you know, it was like we got to try some new make spirit. It was a it was a bottling. I think it was just out, but then it was all the Adelphi bottlings. I remember having a stunning twenty year old Bomore. I think it was from you guys. Um, yeah, that was that was good times, man. So let, let's get on to the distillery a little bit. Give us some stats. Give us some facts and figures on Arda Merkin. Yeah, so as I say, it was. Um, I've been saying it's built in twenty fourteen. More strictly true, it was. Um, it went into production in twenty fourteen. So obviously, it started a little while before that. Um, Importantly, we produce peated whiskey and unpeated whiskey there. So we do six months of each in each year. Um, and that allows us, when it comes to the blending, there's only five of us in the blending team. It allows us to play around with uh, different profiles and we're able to create quite a, a, a variety of different flavors there and take the product in some different directions when it comes to deciding what to release. Um, the... I guess, you know, in a, in a shortcut way, we are just whiskey geeks and we're making whiskey for whiskey geeks. The Adelphi fan base has always 
sort of skewed in that way. People who like cask strength and non-chill filtered and no colouring and all those buzzwords. But I think it'd be fair to say that sort of informs everything we do at Arden American. You know, the Adelphi approach is definitely yeah. brought to Arden American, but in a larger scale. You know, it's not a tiny distillery. Where we last year we did just shy of four hundred thousand liters, so we're sitting on, you know, we've got six tonnage warehouses up there. Everything's matured on site, and we're sitting on probably over fifteen thousand casks now. So, there's in the coming years, you know, we're we'll be ten years old next year already. There'll be quite a lot of stock to start to play with and and maturing away. So yeah, there's a lot going on in the background, trying to basically just do that nebulous thing of bottle a West Coast whiskey. What does the West Coast of Scotland taste like? And how can we make it, you know, how can we put it in a bottle? I think that's a great question. And that is actually my next question. Walk us through, what's your house style? What's the flavour profile that, obviously you have two distillate styles, but walk through both of those and let, let, let our listener hear what, what that's going to taste yeah, like. Yeah, yeah. So I think, um, well, we launched our first whiskey in September 2020. And that's basically an ongoing batch. So that becomes our core. We only really have one core item. That's at just over 46%. And we're talking sort of 25,000 bottles in a batch. So it's not tiny. Um, that's that's bottled with an awareness that um, the Adelphi geeks don't really need the whiskey explained to them. But we're on a different scale. So if we're just trying to sell 25,000 bottles at a time, we need to make it approachable but bring that Adelphi ethos and make it quite interesting so I would like to think that we've created quite a coastal flavor there we're not just relying on you know in terms of the unpeated distillate very vibrant very fruity we aim for a very oily texture and oil all of our spirit too which is something we maybe don't talk about in the industry quite as often as a palate and uh, and, and aromas but the oily mouthfeel is is key to everything that we do. Um, and that will help with the kind of lengthy finish on things. Coastal, I'm not just talking about kind of maritime and salty flavours. You know, we do talk about on our tasting notes, things like oyster shells. On the peated side, it's not an isla peat. It's um, peat from the mainland. So it's more heathery, more mossy, much more earthy, I would say. We talk about things like bonfire embers, you know, you've been out camping on the beach. Um, your clothes are reeking of that smoke in the morning. And that's kind of that savoury smoke that we've got. Definitely not a big medicinal iodine heavy isla punch that you might might think of when you hear the word peat. Um and yeah, fruity sweetness underneath all of that as well. So in an ideal world, I'd love to be thought of as like the, you know, the illegitimate child of Talisker and Springbank would be really cool to be in that sort of <laughs> bracket. It's like a great all-rounder, though, isn't it? Like, you've got that sweet smoke, heather, earth, all the flavour profiles combined in with that oily mouthfeel that, you know, and how are you achieving that oiliness? Is, is it specifically to do, I would imagine, with the size and the shape of the stills? Yeah, primarily. It is a little bit to do with the new make um, and, and the fermentation regime as well. Um, we do use two types of yeast, so we've got a brewer's yeast and a distiller's yeast there as well. Um, we are a Jim Swan distillery. Um, yep. from one of the earlier Scotch ones that he was involved with. I, I think it's fair to say we follow a lot of his production methods, but not much of his maturation style. You don't, you won't find any STR casks in uh, our distillery, for example. But um, he was good at producing or or helping to produce a very vibrant spirit. 
oiliness definitely coming from the stills a little bit more um and you know we've experimented with things like golden promise um barley as well and some of the older strains yeah. that's something we're looking at for the future rather than now to maybe boost the oiliness a little bit more but the stills are fairly typical you know we don't have worm tubs um the stills aren't particularly tall or short and um, it's just one pair of them um a little bit of reflux in the second still it's got a boiler ball on there but yeah it seems for you know whiskey i think when it's doing well we we're predicting what we're going to make in a very narrow way and we're, we're obsessed with consistency in the actual production side but there is still a bit of that magic where you don't know exactly why things are turning out so it's been interesting on a you know an early stage of a launch there to figure out there's some things that are coming out exactly as planned and there's these secondary and tertiary flavors that are coming out where you think sometimes that's great you know i think we've got a nice waxiness and that's like the holy grail for some people but <laughs> could we necessarily distill down into where does that come from and how do we replicate that I'm not so sure yeah i think what's cool and to see as well is that you guys have been producing so many different releases already um, I remember there was a point, it was almost like weekly releases from Ardemark and coming out. And I'm kind of like, well, where's all this stock coming from? That seems to have slowed down recently. I haven't seen a new release from you guys for a while. So it, it, was there any reasoning for so many releases? And why is uh, have we not seen any of late? Yeah, I mean, I think um, that might have been the appearance. I think in the early days, we were doing a, a new core batch. We did have a kind of numbering system that if I'm honest, we it, it was pretty simple in our eyes. It was basically the bottling dates and the batches. We listened to a bit of feedback from around the world and people were saying it was confusing, to be totally honest. So on the core, we've ditched that one and that's just called AD nowadays. Um, so that might have appeared like there was quite a lot because there was every three months that was coming out. We have had a lot of cast strength releases as well, though. So we kind of do seasonal ones. We work with a very, very small champagne producer where we use their casks, they're essentially white wine Chardonnay casks. So we do that every spring. We did a Madeira cask release for the first time in October last year. And we've done a kind of ongoing cask strength release, which is a bit more punchy, a bit more peat, a little bit less sherry cask and more bourbon in there. So in total, yeah, there's a fair bit, but we are slowing down with the inevitable, you know, loss of the novelty effect, I guess. You know, when you're the new kid on the block, everyone's wanting to buy it everyone wants to to hopefully to drink it although there's the inevitable flipping and, and holding on to the bottles that we maybe can't get away from but yeah i think there's been an inevitable shift of, of kind of the new kid on the block focus onto some other people and to be honest that's fine that you're never going to get away with that and it's really refreshing for me to actually be able to go into shops and see it on the shelf now and, and people aren't just getting really fucking angry at me because they can't buy a bottle, you know? <laughs> <laughs> you like the human shield for Arda Merkin. <laughs> it was a little bit for a while, yeah. And Adelphi, that's a different game. That's still, yeah. hey, let's uh, let's give a whole market 12 or 18 bottles at a time. But Arda Merkin, we're dealing on the right numbers. <laughs> so I remember when I was there going into your warehousing, which was really cool. Um, you guys still tr did the traditional kind of way of of painting the barrel heads and stenciling everything on and it was all different colors and I asked why the different colors and the story I got and I don't know if this is true or not but it was someone was picked to to 
pick the color and it usually went on their football team is that still the case there or is that, is that, that is that is very much the case yeah yeah dj who's in our he's our brand home manager he's a local from ardemirkin um, and he worked in production for many years he's a rugby fan so he's not so happy that people are kind of gearing the the colors of the barrels around football but it has been the way um i think we've probably ran out of colors for the the primary um, big Scottish teams and stuff. So the last couple, we had like a lilac as well, which would definitely not have been a football colour unless it was some rogue Fiorentina fan or something like that. But um, yeah, basically we just change the colours every year. It's, it's pretty, pretty simple. Cool. People often think there's a big uh, mystique around it and then they find out, ah, that's just 2022, I'm afraid. <laughs> and I remember you guys had a, a cask, program where you could buy a cast directly from you as well is that something that you're still doing or has that been knocked on the head now we closed it um from being just an open program to once a year at the moment so for now it's every summer um and there's a pretty extensive waiting list to be fair um but you know as as with a lot of other new distilleries there's no getting away from the kind of combination of cold hard cash but also you're creating a nice loyal fan base there. And those sort of people are the ones who've followed us from the start and really want yeah. to kind of have a hand in what's going on there as well. Yeah, I think yeah. it's a great opportunity. Yeah, and important as well. I think, like you said, you know, it creates that um, connection to the to the distillery for people that either can buy the brand but haven't made the pilgrimage there yet mm -hmm. or that, you yes. know, it gives them a reason to, right? It gives them like, now they've laid down a barrel and they can come and see you guys and, and kind of geek out a little bit face to face. Yeah, totally. I mean, I, I travel around a fair bit as, as we do and um, I'm going to the Netherlands at the end of next week and I'm bringing a sample out for one of our big whiskey fans there from his cask. Yeah. So you get these messages quite often saying, I heard you're coming out to whatever country and I see how my cask's doing, you know? And it's, cool. uh, it's, it's nice to you've got this little community of, of people. We've got a little whiskey club as well. We've got, I think, 500 people at the moment on our members club, which is just pretty intimate. And it's the same idea where they're connected to the distillery more behind the scenes. Um, but it works really well. You know, I think pretty much every country I've been to, we visit at least every whiskey fair, there'll be at least a few people coming up saying they're cask owners, as much as people are saying, I've never heard of this distillery you'll get those hardcore groups that are fully into it, you know? Graham, do you have a personal favourite that you guys have released that you're like, this is the holy grail of this drama? Oh, you know, the, the Cask Strength, which is our kind of black label one, is just an absolute banger. It's it's completely my my style. Um, It's kind of taking our core range and I'm amping up the beat. Yeah. More bourbon cask there as well. I'm a big believer in um not hiding behind big heavy accelerant casks sometimes you know and i think there's a certain braveness in releasing a young whiskey that's bourbon forward there's not much to mask the youth there you know a bit of peat might help that but yeah i think it's um it's, it's certainly the one i go for the most um and it seems to have resonated pretty well around the world so you'd mentioned that you're on the the tasting panel for ardemark and how does that yeah. look on a sort of daily weekly basis yeah, you know, that's been a real privilege to be a part of. And and Alex Bruce, again, he's he's been great in terms of doing what he wants to do. He's, he's We don't have any external shareholder pressure to appoint, you know, a, a big famous master blender or anything. So we've ended up just naturally going for 
the sales and marketing team are the people who do the blends. So the entire sales team for the world is three of us. You know, it's myself, Connell and Antonia. We've got Jenny Carlson, who's our marketing manager. And then we've got Alex Bruce. So the five of us just sit around the table. Basically, we, we don't have a lab. Um, if we're creating a new product, Alex will have his master spreadsheet open of what we're allowed to choose from what years. You know, he's very importantly, he's protecting some of the old stock for future years too. And really, we'll just rely on on our own senses and, and it'll be a bit of a team vote. So if I take the cask strength for an example, that's a 50 cask vatting and 40 of those are peated bourbons. So we we decided as a team, kind of conceptually, we're going to make a punchy, peatier version of Arden American for this one. So we'll build up a base of peated bourbons. And we're literally just getting single cask samples and primarily nosing them to begin with. And we're just either accepting or rejecting the samples based on that. We'll be tasting a few as we go along just to make sure. And importantly, I guess we're also identifying single cask samples at the same time. Um, if, if stuff was actually too good to go into the, re the recipe, we will put a little star on the bottle and that might become a single cask exclusive for a shop or for a market. Um, and by the end of the day, we've hopefully built up a kind of prototype of roughly a 70 CL or a litre bottle of what we're thinking might become the new release. And then we'll water it down a bit and we'll take it into different directions. We'll maybe add some more sherry, some more bourbon, take out some peat. You know, we'll play about with it for most of the afternoon. And at the end of the day, it's a group vote. So if, if four of us like it and one thinks it's not ready, then they'll be outvoted and we just have to accept that. And then we'll probably invite feedback from some of the other team once we've got a kind of prototype product but yeah it's quite refreshing you know i can stand in any market in the world and come on any zoom call or podcast and i can quite confidently say that i know the spirit pretty intimately um and i think that helps yeah. do you guys ever, ever get into awesome. any like fights it's like no no we definitely <laughs> have to do that one there's definitely colorful um discussion had um and but i think you know we, we get on debate Yes. I mean, we get on pretty well as as a team. You know, we a couple of years ago, just at the end of lockdown, we did this stupid charity challenge where we walked across Scotland as a team of five. So, so you guys we, did that. Yeah, it was it was really good fun and it was really stupid at the same time. But we <laughs> we wanted to do something outrageous for charity. You know, the hospitality sector had been absolutely on its knees, as we know and we decided to raise money for the Ben, which is the, the hospitality charities in Scotland. So we've got our Adelphi site in Fife, just a, just north of Edinburgh. And we walked from there to Arden American, which is, I don't know, it was about 180 miles or something. But the point of the story is, 11 days on the road, the entire sales and marketing team, apart from, you know, the risk of us all falling down a, a glen and dying at once, we also had a real possibility we could have come home not really friendly with each other anymore. <laughs> um, but hopefully the opposite has happened. And, you know, I've seen some things. I've seen my colleagues do some things that maybe other team members don't normally see of each other in the woods and things, shall we say. So, <laughs> so we're, we're pretty well bonded. So I think there is a genuine camaraderie and we can, we can have those colourful discussions and remain friendly at the end of trading some insults as well, you know? That's awesome absolutely fantastic well thanks so much for joining us uh, before we wrap up just shameless plug time how can people reach you guys 
follow you on on uh, social and kind of website plugs and stuff where's the best place to, to connect yeah we're on the usual um usual places to be fair i mean and, and similarly because we're such a small team if you're sending us a message on instagram on twitter on facebook it will be one of the five of us that is reading and responding to it we, we do all the social media ourselves too we do have a newsletter you can sign up to that and uh, we'll, we'll try and do a dispatch about every two or three months and then there's a few other little things like the members club and things so if you go on the website you can find out most of that but I would say just come and follow us on Instagram and Facebook primarily and you'll find out a lot about our future plans we're quite good at just communicating what we're doing and you know I don't think we've got a very varnished um, social media output very intentionally too but as people follow the brand they'll just really get to know us five particularly obviously we've got a great team of production staff behind us too but tends to be us five and a couple of others that are the faces just shouting into your phone um on that <laughs> nice for us it's just match i'm, <laughs> I'm completely inept exactly. when it comes to social media so it's just you, you, you message us you get mitch bashard <laughs> yeah i like that i'm the human shield um graham thank you so much for being on the show man thank you for your time great insight into Arden Merkin. Uh, hopefully I can make it back up there again at some point soon because I really enjoyed going up to the distillery. It'd be great to to go up there with yourself and and, and Connell as well and hang out with you you guys up there and uh, get a really good insight into it. Yeah, it'd be great crack, Mitch. Definitely welcome to come up anytime. We'll we'll share a dram in person at some point in the future. I hope. Absolutely, mate. Look forward to it. All right, Graham. Well, thank you very much, man. Take it easy. Cheers, game. Cheers. Thanks.